this very second. <laughs> You ever had a song stuck in your head? Like a song that was just going over and over and over stuck in your head? Yeah, what you don't know about me is I have that song all, at all times, day and night. I wake up in the middle of the night and there's a song playing. It's been in all my dreams. Now, sometimes it's a terrible song. Oh, those are the worst. Sometimes it's the greatest song that you think, why has no one ever heard this song? Yeah. And for me, oftentimes it is one of those songs. This is the greatest song you never heard podcast. I, Chris Cochran, I'm here with my great friend, Phil Anderson. Mr. Philip Anderson, how are you today? Doing well. Doing very well. Yeah? Having a, just a, I'm so excited about doing this episode. Yeah? Yeah, I'm excited about every episode, but really excited about this one. Mm, can't wait to hear By it. the way, when you get that song in your mind, yeah. do you have a go-to song to push that mm -hmm. out? No, I, I have nope, doesn't work. I think I, we may have mentioned that before. doesn't work on me. Do it's always in there, and it'll stay in there until it's gone. So there was a, there was a song by John Legend. I've debated... Um, playing it but i'm like if i'm hearing this everywhere it's out there yeah, yeah i don't yeah. listen to top 40 stuff no most of the stuff you <clears throat> listened to was recorded prior to like 1930 40 okay 1940 yeah yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> so i've really had a big learning curve because mm. there's a lot of music after 1940 yeah there I'm is like, who knew isn't right? that weird yeah and i have uh played a song from 1925 you know what you know my recording 60 uh, you know my favorite part about um, good songwriting, good songs, good lyrics, good and good like storytelling, filmmaking, all that stuff together. Because they te stand the test of time. Well, yes, and I'll give you a good example. Um, I am in my late forties. I listened, started listening to the Beatles when I was in middle school. Was when I first found the Beatles and started listening to the Beatles, and I devoured everything I could from them. I know every Beatles song that's probably ever been recorded, except for "Sweet Georgia Brown," uh, that version that Phil played. I didn't know that one, but I do now. So, but I would say I'm a, I'm a more than like average Beatles fan. Yeah, right? I, yes. In fact, that's another thing I'll send you some Beatles stuff. So I traveled uh, recently and was wanting to watch something that wasn't on the Delta in-flight entertainment system. And the only thing I could find that I wanted to watch was I had downloaded the first episode of Get Back, the um, documentary on the Beatles making of the Get Back yeah. album. And so I, I thought, oh, this would be really cool to watch again. I've already seen it in its entirety. It's seven hours long and I've right. seen all of it or nine hours or whatever it is. I've seen all of it. I literally am flying on a plane. I get to the end of the first episode and you can see this handwriting where George is saying, I left the Beatles today right after we were done with lunch. And something inside me went, what are they going to do? How are they going to go on? And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know exactly what happens here. That's right. And that's the way a great song is oftentimes, too, is you that's get exactly sucked right. back into the moment yep. that it represented for you in your lifetime or the time in that, the moment in that song. Or you can't listen to the gambler not cry when the gambler dies in the middle of the night. Well, and it, it also uh, it, it kind of teaches us a little bit to put ourselves into the music or into the present yes right and so the, um that's really actually kind of funny that that happened um have you ever been in a car and listening to a song and you pull up now on the radio right you pull mm -hmm. up and you're like i can't can't get out yet. hundreds of times <laughs> yeah i just can't get out hundreds yet. of times yeah the the great thing about music these days is we got sound hound and what is it, shazam and all the other things that we can just take out and put it up to the speaker. Mm -hmm. And Soundhound has something that when it identifies the song, I can have it connect to a playlist on my Spotify. So I don't even. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I actually have a Soundhound playlist 
and it gets shot right in there and then I can disperse that where I want I to. can't tell you how many times I'm sitting in a restaurant or a brewery or somewhere in public and I hear a song and I ask my phone who sings this song and I hold my arm up and everyone's looking at me like I'm crazy but I'm like I want to know who sings this song and the minute that I get it I'm going to download it to my phone and we're going to listen to it like that day I am less I'm much more subtle I'll just uh, <laughs> while we're talking I just on my phone I don't even look at it and then I just like hold the phone up just kind of out of the blue or at a store. Yeah. Like a, like a oh, store. I do it at a store all the time. Yeah, and I'll just go to the corner where there's a speaker in the ceiling. <laughs> there I am with my hand up in the air. Oh. Phil, do you have a song for us today that might be the greatest song that we've never heard? Yes, yes. And um, this, this song doesn't, I don't even think it's got 100 words in it. I don't think it does. Yeah, it's not very many words at all. And uh, can you, can you, Explain to me what in your mind makes a great song. Mm. Like what are the must haves for a great song? It's got to be in my mind. It's got to have a a good hook. It's got to be a catchy, catchy, singable. Like it doesn't have to be like one of my favorite artists right now is um, an artist out of Australia. Her name is Courtney Barnett. Mm. She's a really big indie artist. She spends a lot of time. But it's like always Dylan, catchy. A female Dylan. <laughs> yeah, but it's always catchy, and it's always it's not like Dil- like Dylan sometimes like doesn't you never get caught into the hook, and then somebody else sings it, and you're like, this is a freaking phen- phenomenal song. So it's got to have a good hook for me. Uh, for me, it's also got to um, the lyrics are super super important to me. There has to be something in the lyrics that cause me to go. Oh, I've, if I don't get that moment in a song, yeah. I'm typically like, eh, it's all right. Um, and, and then the other side of it for me too is. It should be honest, and there can't be any cheating. Oh, define that. Um, there's a song from the um, Chainsmokers um, about, uh, and you've, I know you've heard it. Let me look it up real quick to tell you what it's called. Uh, Chainsmokers. There's a song from the Chainsmokers that they did a couple of years ago called... Hmm, dang it, what was it? Anyway, there's a, there's a line in the song that says something about... Like um, the the mattress you stole when you lived in Boulder, and they use Boulder as a slight rhyme with another word, and I'm like, you just use those words because you couldn't figure out anything else that worked there. That's lazy writing. It's lazy writing, and these people uh, that are described in the song would never live in the college town of Boulder, Colorado. Have you um, have we talked about I've just seen a face? No. Um, it's not a from piece the of Beatles. Toast. Okay. Um, let me, let me give you an example of why lyrics are so important to me. When you think about the song, I've Just Seen a Face, I've Just Seen a Face, I Can't Forget the Time mm. or Place. So listen to the, think about that song. That song is literally like, right? That's right. The, the, and and exactly. the words are, I've just seen a face, I can't forget the time or place where we just met. She's just the girl for me, and I want all the world to see we've met. Do, 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 do. And when you think about that from, there's not a wasted syllable in there. Right. There's not a wasted note in there. And, there's there, not, and there's no fluff. There's zero fluff. Yeah. So they're like the, the Hemingway of lyrics. And when I hear those words, and I'm, I've got a song I'm going to play for you on a future episode next week, in fact, Ooh. that exemplifies some of the lyrics that I find are like super, super meaningful. So it's got to have a good hook. It's got to be singable. It's got to have um, really profound lyrics. And you cannot be lazy in your writing. Um, I agree with all of those. Um, I, of course, lean heavier on the music aspect. The musicality of the song uh, is super important to me. I agree with that too. But yeah. Uh, so, um, quick trivia: since yes. you brought up Bob Dylan, or I did. 
he was in a, a band no one ever heard of called the Traveling Woolberries, where they collected <laughs> um, four or five of uh, these. I can't, I, anyway. Um, next week, I'm going to reference the Traveling Woolberries just for you, Phil. I can't wait for you to hear it, because you, maybe you've heard of the Traveling Woolberries. I I have. Oh, you have? Only because I did a lot of research. Mm. No, mm. no other reason. Uh, we're going to get to this week's song. All right, let's get to it. And this is a cover, okay? Okay. But the um, the original I didn't like as much as the cover, but the person who wrote this uh, is one of the great songwriters of our time, mm. in my opinion. Let's listen to it. Yeah, baby. Yeah, I've been drinking And I I shouldn't come by no But I found myself in trouble, darling And I had Got some whiskey from a barman. I got some cocaine from my friends. I gotta keep on moving, baby. can't stand myself It takes a whole lot of medicine, darling For me to pretend that I'm somebody else Okay, there's one thing I forgot to talk about when I talked about what I look for in a song. Okay. Two, one thing I one thing I'm is a like little a, nervous right now. One thing has to be in there, but the other one has is optional. Um, the optional part is I always love a live song. Yeah. I'm a sucker for live songs. It can be um, not well produced. Yes. And still will be better than a studio version, in my opinion. Yes. 
I know studio, they go like Steely Dan. Yes. Over and over. I mean, they will get so nuanced to the single note not being played with enough, enough weight or something like yeah. that, right? That's all well and good. I love that. When you think of Benny and the Jets yep. and that whistle. By the way, the only rendition that I know of of that song is the live version. And yeah. you hear that whistle and then, yep. you know, yep. and now you expect that. Yes. Now, that's an anomaly. Yes. You don't want that typically, but a live version has all of everything. Yes. And yes. I agree with you I, 100%. So the other the other thing that I like in a song is uh, something of the artist singing it. Uh, hopefully the songwriter has done this too, but this, somewhere in that performance, I want to feel an intimacy. and I want to be sucked into your, whatever you're singing about, I want to feel that too. And to some degree, that to me is the other thing I look for in a good song is that at some point, like if you're singing about a baby, I love you. I don't want it. Like, that's one of the things about like, uh, like let's get it on is a great example of a yeah, song. That I listen to saying, hey, let's get it on. Yeah, there's no feeling or emotion in that song. I don't oh, even feel like, the, Oh really? Oh, I was no, thinking the other way. Let's get I don't even on. feel like the, I, I listen to him and it's more like, I want to have sex. Uh, ah, George Michaels uh, did the song. I want your sex. And in the song, when you listen to I Want Your Sex, there is an intimacy in what he's saying, and there is a uh, believability mm. to how he's saying it. That's what I want to hear you in want a song. You want coming from the heart. I got to believe that you believe what you're singing. And so you didn't get any of that on this. I got that 100% <laughs> on this. In fact, it reminded me of um, on the, the road trip I did this summer, we drove 2,500 miles. God, and this for, is a habit for you now. It yeah. is. And so for part of that road trip, we ended up, um, I think it was Labor Day weekend, they were doing on... One of the Sirius XM stations, I think it was Classic Rewind, hmm. they were doing the top 100 end of summer cassettes was the- Oh, was really? The, by poll. And, and the top 20, and in the top 20 was a song from Frampton Comes Alive, mm. which oh. I've never been a big fan of Frampton. Um, I don't love endless guitar solos. Yeah, he's come back though now, and he doesn't have long hair anymore. Really? Yeah. He probably yeah. doesn't have any hair. No, he's got a short butch cut, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, but he's back, you know, and his son is now playing as well. So Well, and the interesting part about this song was I was I was literally driving through the Utah desert and and just sitting and listening to this song as I'm driving eighty five miles an hour down the road. Yeah. And there was something about that performance that just grabbed me. And so it's funny because the minute he started singing, the thing I like about this song, first off, is I believe everything this guy says. I believe that he actually has, this wasn't like, I sat down and thought, how can I make a hit? I, I feel like he was like stoned and, and drunk and went, mm. I'm going to write a song. Like he's put everything out there. Like yes. I am a complete F up. Yes. Yes. I, 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 and I, I know that. And I even wrote down in my notes, songs of self-loathing are the best in my book. As long as, I mean, you're not like, yeah, I'm a big loser. I, there, there's a fine line between that because you can play that endlessly. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but this one, this one really hit. So the funny thing about this song is, um, is this what would be considered 12-bar blues? Oh, I'd have to. Um, I'm not a big blues guy, so that's why yeah, I'm asking. Um, I'm counting it out. <laughs> I, I think it's. I think it's 12 bar. Okay. Yeah. A um, couple of things I loved in this song. Number one, the mix in this song was perfect because too often 
when someone does a live album, they try to make the artist sound like they're in this big giant room and you lose something of the intimacy and the echo. And when you're in a room, your brain filters out some of that stuff, right? Oh, and, yeah. you're, and you're involved in it. So I love the fact they didn't try to make whoever, the, it was just him and the microphone and the piano. Yeah. It was mixed so that his voice was the most important part and the piano was just an accompaniment. Mm. And the crowd was there enough to know that they were there, but they weren't like overwhelmed. You didn't hear this like... Only when the word cocaine came up. Which was also in my notes. Uh, the miking on this was super, super intimate. Um, and I just, I liked everything about this song. I liked the lyrics on this song. The whole line where he says, um, I'll be guilty for the rest of my life. Yeah. And yeah. I can, and I came, how come I can never do what I'm supposed to do? Right. I'm like, Oh, those just like hit so close because we've all we I shouldn't say we've all been there, but many of us and mostly men have, have, have felt that at feeling. some point. Yeah, how come I how come I can't get this right? Yes. I want to so badly. Yes. Yeah. How come everything I try never turns out right? There's not a wasted syllable in this, mm. and he doesn't fall into the trap of what, the reason I don't love blues typically is the whole like oh baby 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 but I feel uh, I feel I feel it's like. No, there's not a wasted syllable in this. No. In fact, even when he says, how come I never do what I'm supposed to do? How come I ever, and he, he kind of stumbles on it, but it's more emotional than it is acting out the blues. And that's one of the things when you listen to like Lead Belly and super old blues guys, they're, it's honest. When you oh, get yeah. into the like post B.B. King era, because B.B. King towards the end of his career was doing a lot more stylistically. Uh, the way that you, you can hear, um, who's the, who's the mega church pastor that um, he writes all the books and everything. he's like super positive. He's in Texas. I can't think of his name right now. Ah, uh, dang it. Anyway, when you listen to a, a white Anglican pastor speak and talk about how your life, you should be rich. <laughs> when you listen to that versus like, I don't know the way Martin Luther King would preach. Yeah. There's two different styles there, but they both become very stylized as opposed to authentic. Right. And so this is one thing I loved about this song was it was authentic. And even though this guy, I can tell you from hearing his voice, and I probably even know who it is, even though um, his voice le lends to the fact that he probably sings rock and roll all the time, this was a song that he actually did that was authentic to the performance. And, and I loved that in a nutshell. And the only thing I can think of is Glenn Fry. Uh, mm. As a singer, he reminds me of like if Glenn Fry and Rod Stewart had a baby, that's who this reminds me of. Uh, but I don't think it's Glenn Fry, and I've I've got no guess as to what this song is called. Um, really? Yeah. I think you probably could. Guilty? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is kind of easy, Chris. <laughs> uh, the writer of the song, <clears throat> I kind of uh, grease this kids a little bit, is what I would think of as. Um, one of this day and age's best songwriters. Mm. Not a Paul Simon, Prince? not a Billy Joel, not an Elton John, not a Prince. Mm. Although Prince can sound like a big old woman sometimes. <laughs> if you haven't gone back and listened to that episode where oh, Phil thought Prince was a woman, you should. The best song in the world, too. Uh, uh, Randy Newman wrote this song. Really? Randy Newman, yeah. Really? And I listened to that um, particular a version and it's good but it's not this mm. this this is just gritty down i mean it's like can i help you up mm -hmm. i mean he's going to this person's house that he's already burned the bridge how many times yep 
And I, I have nowhere else to go. Yes. Please. Yes. I know I did this. I'm guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this guy's name is Jake. Jake? Yeah. From State Farm? No. Okay. Uh, khaki? He sounds hideous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad someone got she that joke. She sounds hideous. <laughs> she sounds hideous was okay. the line. That's right. Um, Jake from State Farm. Uh, and his brother is Elwood. Okay. Anything yet? Jake and Elwood, no. No. The Blues Brothers. Oh, for this real? This is John Belushi. For real? Yeah. So wow. when they, um, they, they recorded three songs and with an all-star all-star yeah, band, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay? Names that most people wouldn't know. I mean, you know the Paul Schaefer's and things like that, but Richard T. played with him. We played a stuff song on this uh, podcast, which you you um, wasn't one of your favorite, but right. Richard T. was on uh, keyboards. Tom Scott of the LA Express, Horns. I mean, you had a, a lot of heavy hitters, Bones Malone. Mm. I mean, and, and a lot of blues players, okay? that um, they recruited to do this album, made a movie, obviously, and all that stuff. I believe, I, I tried like crazy to find out who's actually playing keyboards. From all that I could tell is Paul Schaefer, but it doesn't sound like him. It does not sound it like his It sounds like Richard T to me, and I would bet it's Richard T on, mm. the, on the piano. Anyway, yeah, John Belushi refused to pull this song out of their set. Really? It meant that much to him because of his life. Hmm. And uh, John Belushi is not a singer per se. Yeah. But, you know, there is some magic in that band. Well, yeah, I feel like, okay, so the Blues Brothers is a weird spot for me because I was too young to watch the Blues Brothers when it came out. And by the time that it had come out, it had lost it. By the time I would have watched it, it lost its magic because yeah, yeah. it was just, it had been copied so much, right? And I didn't realize until recently the whole story about the Blues Brothers, because my thought was, hey, let's make a movie about these things, and then we'll record some songs for it. Right. That's not what happened. Right. They literally formed the Blues Brothers first and then decided, we could probably turn this into a movie. And and the Blues Brothers act that they started doing, I always have confused with like Andy Kaufman as a uh, performance art piece, yeah. as opposed to just... Two dudes who really love the blues and sang it really well. Can it be both? Yes, but it never occurred to me it was anything other than a oh, performance right, right, art right. piece. I just assumed it was like Andy Kaufman wrestling. That it was just like, we're just going to pretend we're... Because I didn't know I wasn't there for the era. And right. so it's oftentimes where like... And we've talked about this on the show. I had a friend in his 20s who said to me, so the Beatles, I just don't get it. Mm. Can you explain to me why anybody would care about the Beatles? And you're like, I can't. And I, I said, if you need that explanation, I can't help you. I just told him he was an idiot. <laughs> wait, so. wait, there's always that approach, too. <laughs> I'm a little bit more diplomatic. But because I think, and this is one of those things that it's been fun with this show, because there are certain things that when they come out, sound, they were so transformative for the time, and they made such an impact for the time, that you don't realize 20 years later when you listen to this, or 30 or 40 years later, or 50 years later right. in a lot of cases, you listen to it and go, oh, this was this changed an entire generation. And so when you think about, and to put it in terms of people my age, the first time you ever heard Nirvana, you mm. had never heard anything like that before. Right. right? And, and that's, uh, you know, I just uh, read a book called, um, I can never remember the book, but it's about uh, category kings in business. Okay. You, you, the Yellow Pages? You, no. Uh, <laughs> thanks for asking. You don't have to... Uh, be the first, but you have to be the best in a yes. category. Uh, uh, so Apple was both. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. They were the first, but they're also the best. Yes. And uh, they are the category king still. Yeah. If they've trained the po- major population to spend $1,500 on a phone every two to three years, I mean. They just over the summer overtook all other Android phones as the number one. There are more iPhones in the world today than there are Androids across the board. Is that the first time that's happened? Yes. Oh, I did not. I thought there would be more Apple. No. Uh, Android is a lot less money, yeah. Yeah. But a lot, not, this is tech 101. Uh, Android had some features that Apple couldn't do. Right. Um, so, well, good for Apple. But that's, again, training us to spend X amount of dollars every two to three years. And it's like, what? This yep. It's a phone. Um, anyway, this song and this band um, really kind of came into their own. Mm-hmm. And the where your initial thing was, um, I forget what you called it, but it's basically like the art or the, you know, the Andy Kaufman type deal. Yeah, performance art. Perform- okay. That was certainly an element. It's kind of like Lady Gaga. You know, she comes in with all this fanfare. Yeah. And then she kicks the hell out of the song on the piano yeah. and vocals. Okay. That's what drives me nuts about Lady Gaga, though. It drives me nuts, too. You don't need this. But maybe she did need because, that. And the problem is, though, because she's always in a character, mm. she never... I don't know who Lady Gaga is. So when she sings ah. with Tony Bennett, I go, you're just playing another character. And she was really good in, in A Star is Born. But that's one of those things about when I say authentic. Yeah. I don't want to hear somebody sing any style. I want them to... I want to know who you are. And I want to feel like at the end of that song, I go... I know something about Phil because I heard him sing this song. Yeah, well, I think that Belushi showed a little bit of himself in this song. Mm, I absolutely agree with now, you. Now, honestly, he didn't play the piano, or obviously, he didn't play the piano, but uh, he laid it all out. I believe the whole band leaves the stage when he sings the song. Phil, this is definitely one of the greatest songs I've never heard. Well, that's good because it. Because <laughs> <laughs> with me these days, it's a roll the freaking uh, dice. <laughs> uh, this was, by the way. Called Guilty. Yes. Uh, the album was made in America in 1980. 1980. Wow. 1980. Yeah. They Their three albums came out, Bingo, Bango, Bongo, and, and then, you know, Belushi went away, and and so did they. Yeah. And Jim Belushi actually tried to fill in. They re- recreated a Blues Brothers movie. I don't know. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. Yet, so. Oh, speaking of which. Yeah. On a completely different note. Okay. Were you ever a Spinal Tap fan? Uh, no, I never, not so much. They just announced a sequel. Really? And I am fascinated by the sequel. Sounds like a joke, but... It, nope. Okay. No joke. They just announced the sequel to Spinal Tap. Okay. Uh, exciting. The, the premise of the sequel is the band has to play one final concert together after a horrific breakup mm. to fulfill a contractual obligation so they don't have to each pay billions of dollars. So they're going to get back together and play one last show together. Will they be on the same stage? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Facing away? <laughs> I don't I'm know. I'm sorry. It, when you're playing live music, you have to be able to see each other. Yes. Yes. And hopefully... All that garbage that uh, was on the in the breakup uh, goes away when they're on stage, and a lot of the times that can happen. You know, well, you know that they were a fictional group, right? Um, Well, for the movie, yes, it's it's a fake documentary. The movie was a fake documentary, yes, and so the band never was. But they were a real band. Well, they were a band because of the fake documentary. Well, all I can say is that. I was going to reference the music. Um, so that is how much I know about Spinal Tap. Mm. I did see it. Yeah. It's a little crazy. Was Deborah Harry in that? I think she was. Okay. It's been a long time since I've seen it. But. Yeah, I think Deborah Harry is in that um, very provocative role mm. she was in. Mm-hmm. Ah, I digress. But 
You can actually make fun of me if you want by going to our social channels, which is Facebook mm, and Twitter. You can. And, and I would see, encourage that. That's right. Um, you can also, you know, <clears throat> make fun of Chris if you'd like to. That would be harder. <laughs> but you can do it. <laughs> Just really think hard. You'll have to expand your brain. You can go to Facebook, We Are the Greatest Song You Never Heard. And you can go to Twitter, which, of course, is G-S-Y-N-H podcast. Don't ask me why. And then just bypass all that. Go to our website, thegreatestsongyouneverheard.com. Is it, it's thegreatestsongyouneverheard.com. Not, I believe it's the greatest song. It is. Never, yeah. Anyway, with all that being said, thanks for listening. And uh, next week, Chris is on the docket. Yes. And he's got a smile on his face. So. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in today and ciao, Maine.